So the first question, to what or whom do you gladly give? And by gladly giving, I mean that you are willing to be taxed in your giving. You're willing to go to the point of willing to uh, give uh, sacrificially. It actually hurts, but it still makes you glad to be generous to this person or thing. And again, it's not about just your money, but your time, your talk. You're actually sitting down and, and mustering up emotional energy to listen and not just giving robotic answers uh, to that person as you listen. For some of us, maybe we gladly give to family. If our immediate family, our extended family is in need, we can just drop anything on a dime or, or give of, of some of our finances. For some of us, we gladly give of ourselves to the pursuit of sensual experiences, sensory experiences, just that next thrill, that next, I mean, we're willing to pay for food, expensive food, to see the colors, the arrangement, the taste, uh, seek out thrills and so forth. For some of us, it's all about ROIs, return on investments. We're willing to gladly give if we know that there's going to be X percent that comes back to us and we can increase our assets. For some of us, it's, it's, it's more transcendent. It's about a cause. And perhaps there's a movement or some reason or, or some justice movement, mercy movement that you're willing to give to. And, and we're willing to gladly give. Now, as we come to uh, today's scripture and, and we consider Jesus Christ, I hope you'll see at the very end that, that Jesus, he actually meets all these needs. All these longings to give gladly that Jesus actually is the, it becomes a perfect reason to want to gladly give. Now, to take it a bit further, do you have someone or something, and when we talk about gladly giving, do you have someone or something that's worth giving your all? It's one thing to give a bit of your resources, but to really, in your mind, to think, I'm gonna, I can give my all. Last night, I was at a cousin's wedding, and during the reception, the speeches... Uh, as always, were going on. And, and just the love between that new husband and wife, especially the wife, was the sentiment of, I'm willing to die for you. And so to, to give our all, and now to, point it, uh, to say it more pointedly, do you have someone or something that is worth dying for? Can you say that in your life today? That you'd actually be willing to die for someone or something. Now put Christianity aside. And just as a humanity, uh, what we're looking for is something to awaken a passion in all of us, to live life fully. Everyone wants that. And so there's a self-help industry, there's a motivational talking industry. But now, bring back Jesus Christ and Christianity. Again, Jesus, I hope you'll see with me, because he has given his all for us. I hope you'll see that with me by the end of this message. There's just a, a natural, spontaneous, just given response that we'd be willing to give our all because of this one man, Jesus. Even willing, perhaps, to die for his cause because he's died for us. There's a, a saying that goes around, you can have a lot to live on, but nothing to live for. And, and this is what the world, this is a motivational thought from the world, and, and this is what they're looking for. And so everyone is, is looking for something to live for. We, we know as humans that it's not enough just to be well-resourced, but 
deep down in our hearts, we want a reason to live for, to give our all, perhaps even something to die for. So today in Acts 18, verses 1 to 17, we see Paul demonstrating, we see Paul demonstrating that he has someone and something worthy of giving his all. Worthy of giving his all to gladly and continually give. Not just to give begrudgingly, but to gladly pour himself out. And I want us to see this because as we go through Acts, the first half in general, commentators say, the focus was on Peter and Jesus establishing the church through Peter's leadership. And now, second half of Acts, we see God taking the gospel uh, to the Gentiles, to non-Jews, to the multicultural, multi-ethnic world. And we see, in a sense, uh, a semi-biography of Paul here. And Paul, as he plods along, we see that in his life, he's demonstrating that he has someone and something worthy of giving his all to gladly and continually give. So the second big question then today, why do we give up? In your life, my life, I can certainly testify that that I always hit these little lulls where I feel stingy in my heart and I don't want to be generous uh, with my time and my treasures and and spending time with people. I want to just close up and, and just take care of myself, please myself. Why do we give up gladly giving? And I want to show you from the text today, it's because of three things. First, we forget that A, Jesus is our all in all, all along the way. Every step, every day, every hour. Second, we forget that explaining Jesus is all important. We'll unpack what we mean by that in a few moments. And third, we forget, we, we give up gladly giving because we forget that it's all in the Lord's hands. Meaning all of life, your life, your circumstances, everything that's going on, it's all in the Lord's hands. So first, Jesus is our all in all, all along the way. We need to remember this. Every day, every moment, very often. And we see this in verse 1. I love how Luke records the narrative of of Paul in the semi-biography. And he had this amazing moment in Athens. And uh, Chris, our intern, did a wonderful job unpacking that last week. And uh, the way Luke records this is just very sort of -of matter-of-factly, very simply, very unassumingly, after this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. And there's this sense that Paul just sort of went on. He went on with life. For you and me, it might be going, waking up the next day and just clocking in again and going to our job or going to that next dentist appointment or going to that next kid's game or meeting that next friend for that next meal and so forth, so forth. But there's just this this unassuming, just living out daily as we are led by God. After this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. And so he arrives at the city, Corinth, from which we get the two letters, 1st and 2nd Corinthians. Paul's writing to them. And as Luke continues this narrative, Paul finds a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, And later on in the passage, it says he went to see them. And we see Luke taking pains to record that Paul makes friends. Paul builds relationships. I mean, his first strategy had an ulterior motive. Let's first find Jews who have the basis to understand the gospel. God's law is in their lives. They have the law and the prophets and the Psalms. 
And he wanted to convince Jews that Jesus was their Messiah, their awaited Messiah. But beyond that also, Paul, he kept reaching out. He kept making friends. Just on a practical side note and tangent, for the Christ follower then, we should never take for granted the people that we meet in our day to day. Never take for granted who comes across your path. You never know what God might want to do through you, what he might want to say through you to that person. And Paul, he's intentional of continuing to reach out to people, build relationships. But we also see that Jesus is all in all, all along the way in history. We see here Luke recording that Aquila and Priscilla had left Rome because of this historical event because Claudius Caesar, he was a Caesar at the time, had commanded all the Jews to leave Rome. There was an anti-Semitic uh, movement that occurred and Suetonius is one uh, recognized historian of the time that even secular historians acknowledged. This man recorded this history. Claudius Caesar was real. This is history. And so Luke is also recording this moment in the Apostle Paul's life, in Priscilla and Aquila's life, in real history that even non-Christian 2018 historians would acknowledge. And this same Suetonius uh, wrote of Christus. He spoke of Christ and Christians and so forth and recorded this uh, edict of Rome and anti-Semitic movement. And so the whole point is this, that, that God, he's also working all along the way in history. As you read the headlines, big or small, global or local, provincial, national, the headlines, God is working everywhere in this world, every moment, Every time he is in control, he is working in history. He's the one that's unfolding history. And so I want you to get this, to see this notion, this idea that Jesus, he's all in all, all along the way. All along the way. And even when you have forgotten him, even when you've turned a blind eye to him, that he's still involved. He's still there. He's still reaching out to you, speaking to you, longing for you to walk with Jesus as your all in all, all along the way. Now I love this, just to uh, elaborate this whole idea of all along the way even more. In verse 3, Luke records, and because he was of the same trade, Paul, he stayed with them, Aquila and uh, Priscilla, and worked, for they were tent makers by trade. You look at all the other religious holy writings, their writings. And a lot of them are, are more just uh, uh, pontifications and, and, and morals and do this and don't do that and sort of spiritual sounding axioms and so forth. But here in Scripture, in this history of the church, don't you love that what God leaves for us is faith working itself out in the very real concrete every day. And so even the Apostle Paul, the Apostle Paul, he could have been the likes of the second pope. Peter might have been the first pope. And, and Paul having the status of a pope-like status. But Paul is rugged. He has rough hands. He's, he's working with leather. He's making tents. He's, he's taking a hammer and nail. And he's providing for himself. He had every right to be pope-like and to say, well, I'm entitled to this meal and, and this and, and so forth. But Paul, just all along the way, clocking in, clocking out, because, and this connection point, even as a human being, what, you're a tent maker too? 
and having a common interest with Aquila and Priscilla, and even in his own heart, in the small things every day, feeling the joy of a coincidence and, and, and experiencing God orchestrating things that he has found some companions who are willing to follow Jesus, but not only spiritually follow Jesus and be on the same page that way, but even doing the same work together. So what? So what? What, 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 what can we take away from this? How can we be encouraged? First, even on this point, all along the way, we're, most of us are, are working or are studying here and, and living in Toronto. I mean, this is, the Toronto is a big machine of a city. And probably a lot of us have that feeling of just clocking in and clocking out every day. And I want you to be encouraged that even in your clocking out, clocking in and clocking out, just day-to-day routines, that you can glorify God. That there's dignity to what you're doing. And God, in, in His marvelous, wise way, beyond our own wisdom, He's even using you in your day-to-day your day-to-day grinding, your day-to-day routines, or sometimes it just sort of feels mindless and you're just going through the same thing, that as you offer this to God and Jesus is your all in all, that he's going to use all this somehow to be weaved into his tapestry of what he's doing to build his kingdom. So, so what? See, if you believe, if you believe that Jesus is your all in all and he is the ultimate reason that gives you purpose, even in the small things all along the way, and that God is working in your life and through history, you'll be different from your coworker. You'll be different from your friend at school. Where they're struggling, even though you're going through a Monday routine, there'll be something in your heart that says, there's someone I'm doing this for. Because he has loved me, even if this feels mundane and routine, I know that God is somehow using this and he'll, he'll purpose this for his witness, for his kingdom. And somehow this will lead to some moment where even I can have a conversation with someone to share more uh, specifically and explicitly about Jesus. Well, that brings us to the second thing that we must not forget. Explaining Jesus is all important. Explaining Jesus. And we see Paul's custom, his habit, his ritual. In verse 4, Luke continues, and he reasoned. He reasoned. He, he logically explained. He took Scripture and explained it. And he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and tried to persuade. Notice that that's an accurate translation from the original Greek, what Luke records here. And the Apostle Paul he, he was just like you and me in the sense that he didn't have this magic Jedi-like power. When he went into the synagogues, he didn't go, you will believe in Jesus. And then all of a sudden they believed. He tried to persuade. It was work for him as well. It was, it was, it was a challenge for him. And yet he kept returning to this task of explaining, reasoning with people. First the Jews and then the Greeks. So be encouraged. If you find awkwardness or, or, or difficulty finding that moment to, in your heart, you want to share about Jesus. You want to explain. But even to get to that point where you can talk about him with whoever you run into day to day, that's a challenge. Be encouraged. Even the Apostle Paul, it was a trying effort for him. 
And so we see here as Silas and Timothy, they were um, in Macedonia, and Paul had called for them to return. And when they returned, Paul, what was, what was his overwhelming, what he was consumed by, what was his passion was to explain so much so that Silas and Timothy, two of the most endeared people in his life at that time, they returned, but he didn't run out. And he said, okay, I need to pause here. There's some dear friends. He was so enthralled with explaining that he was occupied with the word, testifying to the Jews that the Christ was Jesus. Now here, what Paul was doing here, here's a takeaway for you and me today as well in 2018. Our job as well, it hasn't changed. Our task is to explain that Jesus in history is the Christ that all of us are looking for. There are many synonyms for Christ. It could be the reason for living. It could be um, just uh, whatever it is, just our deepest heart satisfaction. It it could be the reason why we want to uh, just be generous. But whatever it is, every person is looking for their Christ. And so this term, it's still meaningful for us today. Christ means anointed Savior anointed, God's chosen Savior, first and foremost for the forgiveness of sins. But as we experience that forgiveness of sins from there overflows meaning for life, a moral, a morality and and wisdom to live a certain way and to guide our choices. But it all starts there with recognizing Jesus as God's chosen way for the forgiveness of sins. And everyone is still looking for this Christ. They might not call it Christ, But everyone is still looking for their Christ. And so our task is to explain Jesus. This task of explaining Jesus is all important. Now perhaps you've hit some walls in your sharing about Jesus, in your attempts to explain Jesus and why he's the Christ. Be encouraged. Even Paul the Apostle hit very hard walls. And so in verse 6, the Jews, they opposed and reviled him. Now remember the Jews, this was Paul's own blood, even flesh and blood. It was his people. It was the people he loved most dearly. And he even says at one point in another letter, he would be willing to die for them. He would be willing to exchange his life for their salvation. And they opposed and reviled him. And Paul, the apostle, mature, Christ-like, you know, I have the biggest heart and continue to be generous. Apostle Paul, he hit a wall. He said, your blood be on your own heads. And this expression was a cultural expression. Shaking off the garments, it was culturally symbolic. And him saying, your blood be on your own heads was culturally symbolic of him just completely disassociating himself. He had finally reached that point. Perhaps you've experienced something similarly in one of your relationships along the way where just the offense was too great or the misunderstandings were going to be cleared up that you just had to set that clear boundary and now there was disassociation with that person. And this is what Paul was exclaiming. Maybe it was just a heated moment. Maybe he regretted saying these things and he didn't really mean it because we know as we, he continues to travel on, he still reaches out to his people first. And then the Gentiles. The point is even Paul, the apostle, 
hit these places where he, was, he, he felt like giving up. The doctor turned around, Lloyd-Jones, he comments on the situation. He says, one of the greatest tragedies in history is that the Jews rejected their own Messiah. The Jews rejected their own Messiah. So I offer this, this insight into it because I want you to see how broken Paul's heart was. How broken, how devastated, how uh, betrayed, how just feeling his, his heart in angst. So first, here's a principle, okay? As we see even Paul in his explaining Jesus as an all-important task. If Jesus is our all in all, then explaining Jesus is your all-important task in this life. Explaining him to as many people as you can. But as you're going about that, first, a principle to take away and apply in your daily life. There perhaps might come some point where you feel like giving up. And at that point, maybe that's exactly what God wants you to do. And just truly trust that person, that situation, into his hands. Okay? That's the principle. But the deeper theology here, the deeper theology is that God is in control. That God, he's working something out. And what we need to trust is that he's sovereign. And that he is the one that has to ultimately work in people's hearts. And so, so what? Perhaps, like Paul, you've reached this point. Perhaps right now in your life, there's someone that you've been trying to explain Jesus to, but they're stubborn, or they're even antagonistic. Perhaps, like Paul, you need to reach that place in heartfelt prayer. God, be honest, this makes me so angry. This makes me so sad. This makes me, just whatever it is that is coming from your heart, pour that out to God. But then entrust that person into his hands. So what's the solution? The solution then, if Jesus truly is our all in all, and and he is the reason that stirs us up to, to keep gladly giving, we have to all remember that it's all in the Lord's hands. Paul experiencing this frustration, the Lord ministers to him. The Lord becomes his counselor his personal counselor. And so Luke records in verse 9, and the Lord himself. The Lord said to Paul, just let's pause there. Right there, the Lord said to Paul, this is a treasure trove. Just these few words, it just speaks marvels of what God wants with you and me as well. First, he is our Lord. He is God. He's sovereign. And he speaks. The Lord wants to speak to you. He really wants a relationship with you. And He speaks to each of us personally, individually. Here He speaks to Paul. Here it comes in the form of a vision at night. Perhaps God will speak to you that way. Of course, everything has to align with with God's Word. And I'm certain we don't have concrete evidence here, but I'm certain Paul was someone who tested even what he received against Scripture. Does this line up with the heart of God that I see in Scripture? A foolproof way is is to to hear God, is to always go to His Word directly. But the point is that the Lord wants to speak to you and me as He did to Paul. And look how the Lord ministers to Paul. 
in his frustration, his deep hurt and angst towards his flesh and blood not believing in the gospel. The Lord says, do not be afraid. Let's pause there. What this means is, Paul was afraid. The Apostle Paul, super spiritual giant Apostle Paul, the Lord, he wouldn't say, do not be afraid, if Paul wasn't afraid. And the Lord, knowing every heart the best, having just supernatural x-rays into the depths of our hearts, he brought out the very root issue of Paul. Do not be afraid. And the Lord ministers to Paul's heart, not just giving Paul more theology, but speaking to his Keep on gladly giving. Keep on gladly ministering and speaking. Do not be silent. Now, let's put this in context, okay? This is verse... Let's jump back to verse 7. He left... This is before the vision and before Paul is ministered to by the Lord. He left there and went to the house of a man named Titius Justus, a worshiper of God. So... We're not sure exactly what this worshiper of God means. It could just mean a sincere Jew who's sincerely trying to search the scriptures and and basically a spiritual seeker. Or it could mean someone who's already converted to Christ. We're not sure. But nevertheless, here is someone who is at least open, minimally, and open to hosting Paul and letting Paul uh, rest there and probably even fed him and so forth. And in verse 8, Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, The one person you would expect not to believe in Jesus actually believed in the Lord together with his entire household. What I want you to see here and notice that Paul did have a victory. Even though there was a spurning synagogue, right? Just for every spurning group and congregation of many Jews in the synagogue, there was at least one person who believed and this was a victory. And so even in light of this gospel victory, this one person And note here, he's in Corinth. Many of the Corinthians, the non-Jews, the Gentiles, hearing Paul, believed and were baptized. If you know anything about the Corinthians, if you read through the letters, it was a messy church. It was an immature church. There was incest going on there. There was just a whole bunch of disorder and, and on and on and on. But these Corinthians, God pulled up from the depths of depravity and save them, and they believed. What I want you to see here is that Paul had every reason to be encouraged, every reason to, 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 to feel high, and that God's gospel is still going forward. But we go back to verse 9. Paul's afraid in his heart. And so what is the Lord's specific solution? The Lord says, Do not be afraid. And then he elaborates, for I am with you. This is the Lord's specific solution, for I am with you. And he also says, for I have many in this city who are my people. Again, here's a theology that's meant to encourage us, that that God, he has his elect. He has his people that he is going to save. We don't know who they are, and we should never entertain trying to discern for ourselves this person is saved, this person is not. 
But God has his people, and that is reason enough to continue to labor in explaining Jesus as the Christ. And so much so, Paul is encouraged after this that he stays another year and six months continuing to teach the word of God among them. God's comfort of choice to Paul was to reassure him two things. His personal presence plus his prevailing purpose. His personal presence plus his prevailing purpose. And you and I are no different today. That's the comfort that we need from Jesus. If Jesus is our all in all and we believe that it's all in his hands, I hope day by day you'll return to these implications that God is personally with you. And so whatever it is, let the Spirit identify in your own heart what, what needs to be ministered to. For you, is it like Paul? You are fearing someone or something? Or, or whatever it may be. For each of us, it's different. But his personal presence, that he's with you, that he loves you, that's the solution that we need. And an assurance of his prevailing purpose. This week... Uh, sometimes I, I like to have some music playing quietly in the background, and, and the music that I was listening to this week was playing Amy Winehouse. And if you know her story, she was a rising star in the British pop scene, a very troubled story, and she died very young, um, just as she was beginning to rise as a star at the young age of 27. And the song that was playing was, Will You Love Me Tomorrow? It was a haunting song, and as she sang that, in the the chorus, will you love me tomorrow? But this is reflective of our world. There's just sort of an insecurity of humanity. Will I be loved tomorrow by whoever, my spouse, my kids, my my work, my whatever it is. Will Will you love me tomorrow? But the Lord's assurance is that I am with you. And the Christ follower, we can be so confident. There's someone who loves us day in, day out. And who has a prevailing purpose in our lives, a good purpose. And we see this all more as the passage ends. And in response to this Jesus, the Lord himself, who says, I am with you. And I have my prevailing purpose. And, and, and let's, let's, let's extend that a bit. Why can we be confident that Jesus is with us? That, that's not just some fairy chicken soup for the, for the soul wishful thinking. This past week, um, my boy, he was uh, uh, part of a speech arts competition at his school. And proud of him for that. Um, and the first speaker, there were about 14 kids. And the first girl... Uh, grade 6, so 11 years old, and she tackled the very heavy subject of depression. And I had the suspicion, just the way she was talking about it, I don't know, but I had the suspicion that, that she struggled it with herself. And what she ended on was this riff, you are good enough. I am good enough. If you ever feel depressed, if you ever feel down, you just keep telling yourself that you are good enough. And while it's a motivational thought, it's a great thought, and it can get you through 
maybe one day, maybe the next, but it won't get you through to the very end. And, and there will be too much that happens in life that challenges that thought. And so Amy Winehouse's riff, Will you love me tomorrow? Will I be good enough tomorrow? But when we see Jesus who died on the cross for us, that is God's sure, final statement. Jesus is good enough, and as you place your faith in Him, and His righteousness is imputed on you, you are good enough. And it doesn't depend on your merit, your performance, or your circumstances, or your fear in your own heart, but because of Christ dwelling in you. And so because of that, as we see Jesus as our all in all, we can be all in. We can be all in. And so here, verse 12. But when Gallio, this is a year and a half later, was proconsul of Achaia, the Jews made a united attack on Paul and brought him before the tribunal. Now we need to notice, as Paul was attacked, again, a year and a half later, we need to have context and perspective. Back in verse 10, the Lord promised him, no one will attack you to harm you. You see what's going on? A year and a half before, the Lord promised Paul, specifically in his circumstances, you won't be attacked, you won't be harmed. But then a year and a half later, Paul was attacked. Did God break his promise? Did God lie? No. That promise was for that short-term moment, and Paul had a year and a half of peace and being able to speak the gospel freely. What this is showing us is that God... He takes us through seasons all along the way. And so suffering, it's like the weed of life. Just to use a springtime analogy, all these weeds popping up. Suffering is the weed of life that we cannot eradicate as we seek out the pristine green pastures of life. And just yesterday I was reading an article on the Gospel Coalition website and there's this wonderful quote that relates to this whole thought we, we are most alive not when our bodies are strongest, but when our souls are most poorest. Meaning, not when there's no suffering in our lives, but when in our hearts, our souls, our thoughts, our will, we're most porous. Meaning, letting ourselves first be loved. Letting God's love just enter into our souls. The love of the suffering Christ in our suffering. And then, because our souls are porous, Loving others with this love in spite of suffering. So I hope, I hope for you, like Paul, that Jesus could be your all in all. You see him as your all in all, and that you'll remember all along the way, and that it's all in God's hands, it's all in his hands. And all along the way, that you won't forget the all important task of continuing to explain Jesus as the Christ. And because you see Jesus all in all, you can be all in, no matter what, even when your circumstances are dire, when you're going through suffering and your heart is shriveling up, you can still be gladly giving because you continue to receive this great love of Christ who suffered for you and gave his all.